Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being on the show. Today, we are very, very lucky to have with us William Mogayar, the author of The Business Blockchain. Uh, William, welcome to the show. So you have written a wonderful book. Um, for those uh, for those listening, if, if you haven't had a chance to check out The Business Blockchain, it's a really fascinating book about the blockchain. And um, what I loved about it was, I mean, you really you – really, you really break it down. I hate to say unbundle it or unpack it because people use that word unpack too frequently. But I love the way you introduce all the different things about the blockchain that are interesting. I mean, most of us probably just think about the blockchain as – I mean, maybe we – I suppose a lot of people in the, in the community know, know about Bitcoin and they know, that, you know, they know a little bit about what kind of functions behind Bitcoin. And maybe they think about this giant ledger in the sky – in all of its different possibilities, but it's more than it's more than, a lot more than that. Can you tell us tell us about tell us what led you in this to, to, to acquire all this knowledge and and uh, and and your and just let me hear kind of how you wrote this book. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think I kind of had an unfair advantage uh, in analyzing what has just happened with the blockchain because I was part of the early internet days as well uh, in '94. 95, 96, 97, not just as another user, but as a very active participant uh, in the marketplace. And uh, I wrote a similar book back in 96, 97, but that book was focused on the internet. And it was called Opening Digital Markets. And at the time, I can tell you for a fact, what we knew about the internet in 94, in terms of how it was going to evolve, uh, was very little. Uh, and it was uh, maybe a fraction of what we we ended up knowing in 98, 99, and then subsequently now look at where we are here 23 years after, uh, we can do all sorts of things with the internet. And uh, there is a recurring theme in the book where I constantly uh, draw analogies to what has happened with the internet and what we might uh, learn from that in terms of the evolutionary path that the internet had and what the blockchain could have as a similar path. So think about the fact that we were probably very, very early in the blockchain days right now, the years, uh, although it is also uh, happening in dog years uh, sequences. Uh, So every quarter, a bunch of things happen and we keep moving forward. But uh, I'm pretty sure that we today... Uh, we as a whole, even people like myself that are considered to be experts, uh, know only a fraction of, my, of what might uh, happen over the next five to ten years. Uh, I, I am sure there will be some surprises. Uh, there will be uh, applications and, and specific uh, areas that we have not even thought about yet. So that's what, what makes it really interesting. And then aside from that, uh, the number of users... Uh, today on the blockchain, uh, specifically or with Bitcoin, with cryptocurrencies as a whole, is is very small. Uh, is, I mean, the best estimates maybe would give us, I don't know, 10 million users uh, between users of wallets or uh, users of applications that are decentralized. That is nothing. I, I remember in 95 when we had... 50 million users on the internet. And we were saying, wow. And that was still nothing. Now we have 3 billion users on the internet. So this is just kind of to give you an idea of where we are in, in terms of uh, on a relative basis. 
Right. So, so there's some really great um, discussion in your book about these, um, see these game theory problems um, that were essentially were. I mean, you could talk to us about that and how that kind of informed kind of the architecture of this whole thing. Yeah. So uh, the way I explain the the blockchain is by saying that it's for the first time it's a combination of three areas: uh, game theory, software engineering, and cryptography science. And uh, each one of those were not, are not new on their own. But um, put together, they, they are giving something new, uh, which was really uh, best symbolized in the paper that Satoshi Nakamoto wrote in 2009. And for the first time, he put these three fields together uh, to, to solve what was known in the gaming, game theory uh, conundrum was called the Byzantine Generals Problem. Uh, I won't get into that, but this is a way to guarantee that um, the the information that is uh, uh, coming through is is uh, is immutable uh, and and is 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 the truth basically. Uh, this the the problem was how do you uh, maintain a single version of the truth uh, that everybody is on board with that everybody has uh, knowledge of. So this single version of the truth is really the essence of the blockchain, and and put together with. Uh, Cryptography. Uh, cryptography gives us the security uh, and a very, very difficult way uh, to uh, to uh, to um, um, un- to decrypt the information. Uh, so that's very important. And then the software engineering gives us the programmability, the the, the, the capabilities to program uh, all this. So we have uh, programmability. We have uh, assurance that uh, the truth is there, and we have security. And put together, what this is, is doing really, uh, if you want to s- sum it down to, to a really simple level, uh, we have a replacement for database, for what we used to use databases for. Uh, in the traditional sense today, uh, everybody owns a database. You, everybody that transacts on, in financial services owns a database database. Uh, uh, of, of, of their current inform- of information that relates to wh- whatever accounts they are managing. Uh, but the, uh, the blockchain is, is instead, of, uh, instead of having two databases synchronize uh, with each other, for example, when you send, if you want to send me money from your bank to my bank, uh, what happens really is the, the two databases from each bank have to synchronize with each other. Uh, and, and then uh, they make sure that when the money leaves your account and when I receive it, then if you send me $10, then you don't have that same $10 anymore. But if you think about it, we need to have those intermediaries today to make sure that the transfer is going to happen uh, properly. Whereas with the blockchain, uh, the novelty of Bitcoin and what was explained in that uh, famous paper is that now uh, what was being thought of is a peer-to-peer model for electronic money transfer. So that money is now transferred from the same person, you, to me, the same person, but without anybody in the middle. And uh, that's where the concept of this ledger comes into play. So think about the ledger uh, as, a, as a shared ledger that replaces the database. So instead of you writing uh, an entry that says, I have $10 off, uh, of your database and me on my end the, really when I say me it means the bank on my behalf saying there's a, a new $10 here uh, instead of doing it that way 
we just both look at one ledger. And a ledger is like, like any accounting ledger. Uh, you cannot erase any, any uh, entries. You just have to add uh, another line uh, every time something new happens. So that ledger is really the single version of the truth. And, and uh, if we both look at that same ledger, uh, then we both know that indeed the $10 left your account and indeed I, I own it now. Yeah, so there's been a ton of money invested in, in, in this by, you know, in the financial institution space. I, it was something like, I don't know what, it was in the billions of dollars in the, just the last year, year and a half or something, I, I think. So banks and, and financial institutions are really interested. But what you are saying in your book is that, well, these folks are, they're going to get disintermediated and, um, and they're, trying to, they're trying to change their business model, but not really. They're just trying to use it as a tech, tech, technology tool, and they're sort of missing the broader point about about the about the blockchain. Yeah, are they just trying to pay attention so they don't get uh, swallowed up, or, or are they really? It seems like the blockchain can kind of make a lot of what some of the traditional financial institutions do less valuable um, because they maybe you don't need them. Are they are they just kind of keeping an eye on it, or are they really able to use it in their business in a productive way? Well, they, they, they have a dilemma, and, and it's the famous innovator's dilemma, basically. But if you think about it, the, the blockchain is about three, three different types of innovations that, again, together have to work hand in hand. On one hand, um, it, it's about a technology, yes. It's about the distributed ledger technology. On the other hand, it also has some legal implications. Uh, so when the transaction has been validated, then it, it has a, a real um, legal uh, status. So the, that record uh, on the blockchain should be taken as, as an official record, uh, as a, if you're doing record keeping. Uh, for, for. And then the third aspect is uh, there is business innovation here, business model innovation, because we, we can uh, create some new uh, types of, uh, of companies that did not exist before uh, on the blockchain. But with the, with the banks, uh, their dilemma is that they, they look at this and they say, well, first of all, we cannot change the regulations because we are subjected to them. Uh, we are very much uh, uh, kind of uh, bound by the compliance and a whole regulatory uh, environment with all kinds of rules. So they start by saying, well, don't touch, let's not touch the regulations. We can't touch that. And then they go to the business model and they say, well, we can't touch that either uh, because we've been banks for the last 100 years and, and customers trust us. So why, why change there? We're not going to change. We, we want to stay in the middle. Uh, so what is left really is, is a technology. So they see the blockchain as a, another technology uh, innovation. Uh, mind you, yes, it's, there is some innovation in there. But it, at the end of the day, it may end up looking like another IT project uh, where you're just using technology, information technology, to improve something, uh, maybe to save money, to do something faster, uh, better, cheaper. So it's really about improvement. And, and it's really not about a, it's not about disruption. And, and I, I keep saying that, which is that banks do not want to disrupt themselves but they will be very happy improving themselves any day. Uh, you, you tell them, um, let's improve this process by 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever the number is. They, they are into um, stepwise improvements. Uh, but when it comes to really making big changes, 
uh, that's where, where uh, they struggle, basically. So let's talk a little bit about the blockchain as opposed to Bitcoin. Some people say, you know, when you think about, you, you always hear the, the kind of um, the news is always a, seems to be about the cryptocurrencies specifically, like, uh, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or these different currencies as kind of the application that's happening right now. But, but if you think about it, most people kind of look at blockchain as really the technological piece of it that'll probably endure and have a lot of widespread applications beyond just any one given cryptocurrency. What, what are some of those applications that you see for the blockchain that kind of go beyond cryptocurrency? You, you mentioned thinking of it as a, as a distributed database. Um, is that, a, is that a, uh, an, a possibility going forward that people would use the blockchain to store information that isn't really ledger related, but it's more the type of stuff people would t- traditionally store in a, in a normal database? Or would that just overload the system with too much data? It's a lot of questions all, <laughs> yeah, of questions all in one. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. These are good, good, uh, good questions. So, yeah, what you said at the beginning is correct. The the cryptocurrency aspect is is one one application of the blockchain, but it's a very important one. And uh, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, but it's also it's also a blockchain. So um, so we, we we can think of the cryptocurrency uh, itself as uh, as uh, as one application, but there are other applications that use the distributed ledger. So uh, what I want to make sure I, I say here that's understood is uh, the distributed ledger part is an important aspect of the blockchain. And, and you, you don't have, I mean, you, you have to use it. I mean, that, that's like the nugget. That, that's the, the base. Uh, that's the, the nucleus of, a, of what a blockchain does. So th- there is going to be a ledger in, in everything. But now what changes is, is what goes on top of that ledger in terms of application. So I'll give you an example. For example, um, land, land registry and, and, and any, anything to do with the title, title registrations uh, should, should all be on the blockchain. Uh, so the, this, this area is, is ripe uh, for government services to, to get on the blockchain um, because the blockchain offers a really good uh, chain of custody. Um, so remember I was talking to you about the, the, the ledger where every new entry uh, kind of is written be- below the one before it. So you can never erase the past. Uh, you can never uh, cheat the past. Uh, you can never have fraud on, a, on an entry because the blockchain secures that. But in the area of uh, land registration and title insurance and all, all kinds of... Um, uh, title-related uh, transactions, uh, maybe not as much in developed countries, uh, but uh, for sure in, in, in less developed countries, uh, fraud is a very is a very common uh, uh, common element of uh, of land registration. Unfortunately, although it does happen here as well, or at least there are delays. Uh, there are counties where they will only. Uh, it will take them three months to fully complete the uh, title transfer uh, on some land. Uh, so if, if you're trying to do a transaction in between, uh, then you're, uh, you're not in lockstep with the reality. Um, so I know for a fact a lot of governments around the world and uh, a number of states in the U.S. and, and counties are now looking at, at the blockchain as that particular uh, version of the truth where... Uh, any anybody that has a land uh, 
uh, title uh, is, is going to rely on the blockchain to really check, to, to check really who owns that, that land. And it could be done within, uh, within seconds or minutes in, in real time. And there shouldn't be any reason why uh, there isn't any delay with, uh, with checking that somebody owns a particular piece of land or not. Uh, so I have a lot of hope for for government services to to really jump, uh, you know, in both feet uh, to kind of go going into into the blockchain applications. So that that's one one kind of application. Another one, uh, you know, th- think about anything that can be done peer to peer has a role has a place uh, in the blockchain. So there's a company I'm involved with uh, called Open Bazaar, for example. Uh, I'm an investor. I'm on their board as well. And they are developing a protocol for a peer-to-peer e-commerce. So think of it as like eBay without eBay. So if you go on eBay today um, as a seller, you have to pay eBay a transaction fee of some sort, and it varies. Uh, plus, you have to pay credit card fees. So before you know it, although you've sold something uh, for $10, there's about a dollar that's gone to fund um, the just being there. Uh, whereas with Open Bazaar, what they are encouraging is is a strict peer-to-peer transaction without anybody in the middle, and and using Bitcoin as a currency. So Bitcoin, the other advantage of Bitcoin is that it's a universal currency. You don't need to uh, uh, to, uh, to to exchange from U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars to euros to whatever currency you're in. Uh, so it's a single currency that you, that's universal. Uh, so it removes the barriers of trade. There's less fra- uh, less friction if, if there's only one currency. Yeah. So one one question I've always been curious about, and maybe Mike knows the answer to this, but I mean, you, so you've got this massive peer-to-peer network, right? And there's supposed to be this ledger, right? <laughs> that's, that no one, that you know, the, the sort of you know, because it's a peer-to-peer network with thousands of different sort of nodes. Um, this ledger, you know, can't be adulterated or can't be altered. Or, but how do people? So how do people wind up losing bitcoins in that in that scenario? How do people get? How do people lose? Because there was just a situation the other day where I read a bunch of people lost bitcoins. How does that happen? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this happens. I mean, this is human error, really. It's 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 the it's the developers that have written up applications on top of the of the ledger. Uh, so, uh, Bitcoin and the blockchain give us programmable money. So, but programmable money comes with a big responsibility. So, if you're going to program money, I mean, so far, if you think about it, before before the advent of Bitcoin, the only the only entities that could program money really and the transfer of money and money transactions were banks or financial institutions. Um, now we have lowered the barriers of entry to program money to any developer, basically. Any developer that spends a few hours learning some Bitcoin scripts or uh, uh, in the case of Ethereum, Solidity, and they have other languages. Some are based on Java, some are based on Python, others, others are based on C++. And so this is to tell you that any, any programmer that, that knows some modern tools can learn how to program the blockchain very, very quickly and, and easily on a relative basis. So now you are programming money, and those, those breaches are happening not on the, on the core of the, of the blockchain, 
but the breaches are happening on the application level on top of the of, of the score uh, of the ledger so you you, you can write a, a bad application uh, on the internet today that is subject to uh, to uh, potential breaches if you don't uh, pr properly uh, architect your security uh, and your privacy aspects and and how uh, users uh, get authenticated and how you are making sure that uh, user accounts cannot be compromised i mean these are basic hy hygiene security hygiene types of uh, practices that uh, almost have nothing to do with the blockchain and and i can tell you for a fact there are a few uh, blockchain businesses that are not taking security uh, as seriously uh, as a bank would or as uh, somebody that is uh, uh, responsible for a, an enterprise uh, kind of level type of application. Uh, I mean, the, these, these kinds of applications have to be very rigorous in terms of security. So that, that's where the weaknesses are, are, are happening. Uh, so if, if somebody breaches your, your, your user account, even on, on your bank, uh, I mean, technically, they, they could, they could uh, uh, siphon some money uh, out of your bank account, but the banks have had years and years of experience in, in writing those solid applications, and they have a lot of checks and balances. I mean, recently, I was in, um, in New York last week, um, uh, and I, I took an Uber ride, uh, and I hadn't taken an Uber ride for maybe a month or so, Within three minutes, I received a text message and a voicemail from my bank uh, just to make, make to make sure that I was the one uh, taking that, uh, making a valid transaction. And they locked my account right away. They said to to call uh, if 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 I'm the one to unlock it. I mean, and this wasn't a very it was it was thirty nine dollars. I mean, and and then look how much precautions they've taken. To make sure that it wasn't somebody that that took this uh, trip and and then used my card, um, the blockchain exchanges and the blockchain application developers and the businesses that want to live on top of the blockchain are nowhere near these levels of uh, standards and best practices in in ensuring that the security uh, and the privacy and the risk uh, assessment. Uh, best practices are are really being followed, um, you know, as well as they should be. Uh, so that that's kind of where the bulk of the um, of the of the problems happen. That that's that that's where that's where the hackers attack. Hackers attack always the place that is the weakest. You know, the weakest link in the chain is enough to break the chain. Unfortunately, right. What that, so tell us about. Um, you write about this in the book too, dis distributed autonomous organizations. I'd love to hear you just kind of talk about that. I, I think those words sound exciting because they seem to promise um, they seem to promise something really great for society as a whole, p perhaps. Uh, but it's hard to it's actually for me hard to imagine how how that actually comes into being or what what they look like in fact and what you mean. Sure, sure. I mean, th th there is uh, there's a lot. Uh there is some complexity around what is what is currently called uh, a distributed autonomous organization or DAO 
uh, or DAC, or you, you say corporation instead of organization. And um, the basis of it uh, goes back um, almost 10 years ago. Uh, it was a, um, there was a concept uh, that was depicted in the, in the book, uh, The Starfish and the Spider by uh, Ori Braffman. And it's really about peer production. It, it's really about, uh, uh, about having the crowd uh, produce value. So uh, let me deconstruct this, this term that is becoming a buzzword now. Uh, first, there is the distributed aspect of it. And this means that uh, it's, it's not really top-down. It means that the, the work that is produced uh, is distributed by, by any, anybody out there. It's, it's like peer production. It's the crowd. Think of crowd sales or, uh, or crowdfunding or um, uh, crowd voting where it, it's really now uh, you get a lot of participation. You get small doses of participation by a large number of users. So that, that's the, the one aspect in the distributed part. Uh, autonomous means that you are automating uh, some parts of the operations. So uh, th this is where some of the early attempts at DAOs are failing, is that they, they rush too quickly to automating the, the operations. And it, it's like, the way I talk about it is that it's like a train. You know, if you want a train to start to go on a, on, a, on a straight line, you have to first put the train on the rails before it can start to move on the rails. And if you don't put the train on the rails properly, it is, not, it is going to derail. And it takes some time to put the train on the rails. And, and this is part of the learning aspect of the, auto, of the uh, autonomous part. Uh, so uh, in, in, my, in my own thinking, um, it will be easier uh, to turn existing organizations or, or a part of an existing organization into autonomous uh, organizations, it'll be easier to do that than to to dream up um, new organizations that have never been autonomous before, uh, that don't have a lot of experience in running their operations, uh, that don't know uh, leadership principles or haven't had experience in leadership principles or management principles, and then say out of nowhere we're not going to become a DAO. Uh, it's not as easy. Let's take a step back. What is an autonomous organization? It generates in my mind, I have this idea of a, you know, setting up a company that somehow has a, you know, let a, an account attached to it that is not owned by anyone other than the company because it's a Bitcoin wallet or something like that. And then it somehow goes out and does activities independent of human interaction, like maybe through some kind of a, a smart agent or, or um, uh, you know, some kind of machine learning uh, or, or a, a agency, I, is that is that what you're thinking of, or is it something different? Well, it's it's a combination of all of those. So what you've described is is something that a smart contract can do, and a smart contract is a, is another fancy word for saying business logic. It's it's really a series of if this then that. Right, so so you put the you put the money uh, or the bitcoin into a particular vehicle, and it says this this money will be distributed according to certain rules, or it'll be it'll and, and then that bec becomes kind of an uh, independent organism that's out there in the world with resources behind well, it, it, it to, becomes, to finish its process. Yeah, I mean it's, it's like one one function. So the the if this then that is a very uh, 
easy analogy for understanding what smart contracts do. Now, as you said, the, the, uh, the addition here is that there's money involved. So uh, I want to really dumb it down. Th think about um, now we all have those uh, smart things that, are, that can control our home. And um, like one very simple example is uh, you, you can buy a little device that says, if you open your garage door, then um, uh, it will turn the lights on in the kitchen, for example. That's an easy, that's an easy way to do something. But that, that is a smart contract, that, that, but doesn't have money in it. Now, just add the money aspect of it. And uh, you can say, uh, if, if, uh, I, uh, uh, if, I enter the, uh, if I open the garage, uh, then turn the lights on and pay uh, my hydro company, uh, I don't know, three cents for, for the usage of it. So now you've added a money aspect in, into it. But now if you have a bunch of those all together and, and all of these can, can form a, uh, in a, some organization that, that kind of runs these, these, uh, these if this then that with money, with dispensing money. So I'll give you another example. There is a company called Boardroom uh, that will implement a blockchain-based governance uh, for um, uh, for organizations that are that are uh, uh, that are dispensing money, um, so um, th think of the uh, multitude of NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that typically uh, are given a budget and they have to fund projects. Let's say in Africa or whatever the projects are. And what if you have a uh, what if you embed your governance? The governance meaning that how do you make your decisions? How do you how do you uh, uh, how do you make decisions on grants? Uh, how are you going to uh, say that this particular project uh, we're going to grant them uh, I don't know a thousand dollars per week uh, because we've reviewed it we have reviewed it uh, the board has approved it uh, and the board means if six votes out of ten say yes then the project gets money. Uh, so why not put that into a contract and you, you embed that into your governance and then uh, you empower, you, 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 you let those 10 uh, governing, the governing bodies, let's say, register and then they vote on the, on the blockchain. So you, you have that application running and the minute there is six votes, that's it. The project is approved and that's it. It dispenses the money. So think about today, what you have to do is you you have to get a resolution, you have to maybe uh, email it to somebody, the, somebody in the office is gonna take that and then go to the bank and, and then do a draft or a wire and then they have to get the other party to accept it. So it might take sometimes 30 days to, to, to give the money after you've made the decision. So what Boardroom has done, they've, they've shrunk this whole process. So from decision-making to dispensing money can happen in a matter of hours of, or minutes. So this is a mini, a mini kind of distributed autonomous organization, uh, or think of it a distributed autonomous process. So, uh, right, so the, the autonomy isn't necessarily there's still humans involved in the process you described, but it's still, I guess, autonomous in a sense that there's it's decentralized. There's no like central authority or or uh, administrative process to make it happen. Like so it's what, when it sounds one of the, the concepts that 
comes to mind with what you just described would be a, imagine like a situation where it's not instead of a government, but maybe maybe as an alternative to a type of government, you know, like imagine if everyone in a city paid their taxes into a big pool and that pool was was on the blockchain. And then the only way money got spent was by people making proposals and then getting a right a number of votes from people. It'd be like a very direct, direct kind of democracy on how that money's spent. And uh, so the money would just keep building up until people could agree on what they want to spend it on. Yeah, I've thought I've thought about this a lot. This is actually a great application of, of the. I think that'd be a great application of the, or, or a great example of a distributed autonomous organization. It's not. I mean, I think and it, it would seem like it would it, it could potentially really change society. Absolutely. I mean, the, I'm I'm waiting to see uh, more applications in in the area of governance and citizenship uh, of that sort. Uh, and and really, what you do here is you. Um, you agree on the governance, you agree on the rules, and you put them in code. And then you, uh, you, you let uh, the rest take care of itself. So that way you cannot cheat the system because you've encoded uh, your rules, you've encoded your governance, you've encoded the fact that if, uh, whatever the number is, if 51% of your citizens want to... Um, remove that pole by the corner of the street or whatever, or add uh, six lights on that street that's uh, dark, whatever. I mean, it'll be done. And it, it, it triggers something else. Um, and and there, there's no, they, they, in this way, they, there's lots of transparency. Um, so again, there's another uh, company that uh, is developing software that runs on the blockchain to allow um, nations to, to, to govern themselves that way, uh, a company called BitNation. So they, they can let you become a citizen of the blockchain uh, and they can have uh, an entity, uh, in, the, in this case, uh, Estonia is using Bit, BitNation. Uh, and uh, you can register as, a, as an e-citizen. Uh, you don't have to be a, like a physical citizen of Estonia. You can just register on the blockchain and that gives you access to their services. So you can then uh, register a business there. Uh, you can uh, conduct some, li- you have a license, uh, but it's all done on the blockchain. So you can even get married there, but you're not, get- you're not getting married in the jurisdiction of Estonia. You're getting married in the jurisdiction of the blockchain. <laughs> this is great. William, I think uh, what, what I'm curious about is I want to know when, when the first U.S. charity is going to uh, uh, do this. And I'm not even sure if it, I mean, it, I'm not, I mean, I mean, because right now charitable giving is really, ha- I feel like it's really haphazard and there's lots of sort of, I mean, just sort of waste. I mean, that's cynical, but I, mean, I suppose you could say the same thing about government spending. But with something like a distributed autonomous organization, um, I mean, could you do, I mean, Estonia has done it as a nation, which is fascinating. Um, but what if, a, you know, what if a, a city wanted to do it? Like say the city of Seattle wanted to create a, a, a community, community chess to benefit everyone in Seattle. Um, you just, the city of Seattle would just build a blockchain, establish the rules uh, or, or someone who wants to benefit the city it wouldn't have to be the city. It could be Mike or me or you, and uh, and then everyone who who likes the rules we've established would would could put money in, and then the money would be distributed according to the rules. I mean, this is uh, so. This is doable today. You're telling me that we could we could build this today. Absolutely, you can. Have, I mean, and you hit it on the like, what you said is is very true. You have to establish the rules first, and um, and I keep saying that we have to walk before we can run on all of this. And you, like you, you can't uh, dream up a DAO uh, with uh, high ambitions from one day to another. You have to build it stepwise, 
and, and pick some very simple rules at the beginning and say, we're going to agree on these like three very simple rules and let's see how it works because we're all new at this. I mean, think about the fact like 20, 23 years ago when the internet came along, entering a credit card on the internet was not a natural act. It was seen as something that maybe was risky. Uh, the banks didn't want to touch it. I remember for three years, we had to go through what was called an internet gateway uh, because the, the banks had brainwashed us that only their systems are secure. And now putting a credit card on the internet is uh, to buy stuff is, we don't even think about it twice. It's done, you put it there, you forget it, you, you have one click buying, it's done. And in the same way that now we, we are saying, oh, yeah, we're going to put these rules on the blockchain. This is new. Uh, but I'm saying, no, this is, yeah, it's new, but let's do it a few steps at a time. Let's start with the easy, easy, easy stuff, with the easy rules that everybody can agree with, like voting or, uh, or having certain limits and thresholds. And then as we get used to uh, uh, seeing that this works, and as we, then we can build more confidence and then go to more ambitious uh, projects uh, and build, like make it a build-up process. So who, so who, so who, so Estonia built this, but like, is there a cadre? Like if you were going to want, if you want to build your own distributed autonomous organization, who would, who would you recommend we call to help us build this thing? Well, yeah, that's the thing that's kind of unfortunate right now. We're still at the stages where uh, it's like going to Home Depot. If you want to buy, if you want to build um, like a, a table or a closet, <laughs> or, or uh, something of that sort. Yeah, we're still at the point where you have to go and buy the nails and buy the hammer and buy the screwdriver and buy the uh, specific pieces of wood and cut them yourself and assemble them. So we're still at the handmade kind of uh, assembly stage. And we're not at the stage of where you can go to Ikea and buy everything shrink-wrapped. And, uh, and you know you have all the tools, uh, all the bolts, everything is going to... And then you can put it together in half an hour instead of a whole day or two days. Uh, but it's getting a little bit better. So there are companies uh, like a company that I'm also involved with called Block, B-L-O-Q, or um, another company um, called Block Apps or another one called Nuco. These companies are putting together a stack of tools uh, that you can kind of take out of the box more or less and start to develop um, and, and write an application uh, without having to, uh, to assemble it all yourself. But there are also uh, vertical applications like BitNation that I mentioned. So if you want to do a governance for a nation, you go to BitNation. If you want to do a governance at the board level, at the, at the corporate board level, you go to a company called Boardroom. Uh, and, and there are a few of that, of that, of, of, of those kinds of um, uh, kinds of companies. So you can either go horizontal and say, "Give me the tools, and I'm going to build anything," and then you go to block, uh, block apps, or Nuco, or you go to vertical applications uh, like BitNations and uh, and Boardroom, to just name a couple. So let's say somebody wants to build a, um, you know, some kind of business built built on the blockchain. Let's say they want to. You know, create some kind of autonomous organization, or, or you know, do do something like what BitNation has done. Does does that require them to build 
without a network that is that is robust in the way that the Bitcoin network is? I mean, it's because Bitcoin works. When you say that the the ledger represents the truth, it represents the truth because it's it's replicated across thousands of machines, maybe hundreds of thousands of machines. Uh, you know, so it's difficult for one person to kind of manipulate that because they'd have to control a, the majority of all the machines that are in that network. If you want to create your own thing that isn't Bitcoin, do you need to? to somehow incentivize enough people to come on board that it becomes robust enough to work? Uh, is that a problem? Uh, no. So that's the beauty of using a, a robust blockchain. Um, the Bitcoin as a blockchain already has about 6,000 nodes uh, that run it. So, so think about 6,000 uh, computers anywhere in the world that are really the backbone of this blockchain. And Ethereum is in, in the same league. Uh, they have about 6,000 servers out there and so as long as there's one computer that is still running that blockchain does not go down uh, so it's very inconceivable that uh, if you attacked uh, even if you attacked a thousand or three thousand of them the rest of them will keep humming and will will keep uh, maintaining the integrity of the blockchain so and if so you do build people an, do people make their applications and then and then run them on an existing blockchain that's already robust as opposed to sort of so so you would just solve that problem by by working with an existing network like the, the like the Bitcoin network. Well, yeah, yes and no. That, that's one way of doing it. But if you are at the protocol level, like for example, Open Bazaar uh, has, think of it, they have two two legs. One leg is is kind of uh, sitting, is standing on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, and it's got that that kind of base uh, under it. And the other leg is is sitting on their own protocol, which has their own nodes. Uh, which also maintain the peer-to-peer -peer aspects uh, and the integrity of the commerce transactions. So uh, you can rely on the blockchain that exists already, but you can, if you're at the protocol level, you can also have your own set of nodes uh, working in parallel with the Bitcoin blockchain. I'll give you a third example where you would have your own blockchain uh, in, a, in a native, uh, we call it, it's called natively, Speaking, it means that it's your own. So there's another business called Steam. St uh, St the website is Steamit, S-T-E-E-M-I-T.com. So Steamit, think of it as a decentralized Reddit. So it's a content, uh, it's a content publish publishing platform. Uh, they have their own uh, blockchain, which they maintain themselves. And what's really interesting about Steam uh, is that uh, the blockchain runs the operations uh, of of the marketplace? So that's an, I mean th there is a certain aspect of Steam uh, that is like a DAO, like a decentralized autonomous organization inside, because the blockchain, their blockchain specifically, issues tokens to the users uh, that are either publishing content or voting on content. Uh, or promoting content. So you, you are really, in essence, earning uh, tokens, which is another type of currency. You are, you are earning tokens by just virtue, by virtue of your participation, by virtue of, of you creating content or giving attention to the network. And this is another uh, kind of type of, uh, of DAO application that we're going to see more of. Uh, companies creating their own currencies uh, and, and rewarding their users for the work that is being done by them, uh, work that uh, creates value 
uh, that has value. And here's so, the analogy. In the Steam example, who's who's storing all the data? I mean, are the, are the users doing that in exchange for more tokens? Like some people will run nodes. Who, who's running the nodes? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, without getting too, comp, too kind of into the technical aspects, uh, there is a, a network uh, that is uh, running those nodes, and it is a combination of a proof-of-work uh, consensus mechanism, which is what Bitcoin and Ethereum are based on today, uh, meaning you have to do some work to uh, uh, validate the transaction. So it's a combination of proof-of-work and what is called proof-of-stake, uh, where a certain number of nodes uh, have uh, some authority uh, in, and they are like trusted nodes. So it works together uh, in, in, in a manner that maintains the integrity uh, of, the, of the network and the blockchain. And it's the blockchain that keeps track of all of these transactions in a decentralized manner. So every time you write, you, you, you publish uh, something, it is not Reddit, it is not like Reddit that uh, will store that content on their own database. Uh, this is a case where the content is already, it becomes automatically in the wild. It, it goes on the blockchain and, and, uh, and it's, it's transparent and nobody can take it down unless you take all of the nodes down. What's funny about that is, uh, I mean, it's Reddit in, in and of itself is a little bit like uh, the Usenet uh, that used to exist in the early days of, of, I guess, the internet. I don't know. Usenet still exists, but people don't use it. But it, for people that don't know what that is, it's, it was like, um, you know, you would, you would uh, subscribe or log into various channels and then it was basically just message boards, which is kind of like what Reddit is now. It's just maybe more graphical. Um, but what was interesting about the, the Usenet uh, community is it was, a, it was a separate protocol from, from regular HTTP websites, but it was the same sort of thing. It was distributed. If you posted a message to those message boards, that message would then get propagated to anyone else who happened to be running a, a Usenet server. It kind of it seems like it has a lot of parallels. It may just be missing the crypto piece of it. Is that yeah, right? yeah. There's some parallels there. Uh, in the case of Reddit, I mean, if they if they if they sh if they want to shut it down, they can shut it down. I mean, if they wanted to uh, uh, to delete a uh, uh, a particular post or, uh, uh, or or remove something, they can do it because they they control the database in a central location. But in the case where you have the content being decentralized, there are multiple copies that are automatically propagating throughout the network. So it becomes it becomes like whack-a-mole. You, you can't, you know, if you delete one, there's going to be another hundred elsewhere. And, and that's kind of the beauty of the blockchain is that uh, it becomes very difficult to censor it and very difficult to, uh, uh, to decide single-handedly what you want to delete. Yeah, that's totally fascinating. Well, hey, William, this has been a great conversation. I, uh, I, uh, I'm excited to see things develop, and um, I'm really, I'm really excited about this idea that that uh, of this this sort of this sort of idea people could build a, you know, build a platform to contribute money to, and then sort of the group as a whole could decide how to dispense it, just like the example you gave about community improvement projects, one kind or another. Um, but in any event, I super appreciate you being on the show. Um, do you, uh, do you have any parting thoughts for us before, uh, before we go? Well, thanks for having me, Joe and Mike. I really, uh, enjoyed talking to you. Um, I think we covered a lot. If anybody wants to follow, uh, my ongoing, 
uh, work, uh, just follow my blog on startupmanagement.org slash blog where I, I write on a, on a weekly, daily basis because we're still exploring the limits and the boundaries of uh, what uh, the blockchain enables. Uh, so we're still in the early days. And I can tell you for a fact, Joe, I mean, this is going to keep uh, people like yourself in the legal profession very busy over the next few years because there are lots of legality uh, uh, aspects that we have to figure out. And we need, we need the legal profession, we need the te technical profession, and we need the business people as well, all three parties working together uh, to advance the, the field forward. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm totally fascinated by this. I think this is um, so. You can find uh, again. You can find William's, uh, William's book uh, on uh, Amazon. At, uh, it's just the, called the Business Blockchain, and uh, follow him on the web, uh, Twitter, and so on and so forth. And um, thank you so much for for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks everyone else for listening. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>